Who's excited? Fried pies? Come on, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than fried pies, I guess, unless you're coupling in the idea that the reason for the fried pies is that we're celebrating four years together as a church. That's pretty exciting, at least for me. Uh, it's, it's especially exciting when you realize that uh, over two-thirds of church plants closed within their first three years. So we're an exception to, to the rule, which is really awesome. I know of uh, six church plants just in Wichita that have closed since we uh, started launching, or since we launched this church four years ago. So it's a remarkable testament to God's faithfulness. You all have been committed to our mission to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus, to build them up in that faith, to equip them for ministry, and then to send them out on a mission within their neighborhood, schools, workplaces, wherever they find themselves to repeat that entire process. Because of that, Because of your all's hard work, we have seen 71 salvations and 25 baptisms. Yeah, that's something you can uh, be excited about. I truthfully like to see the baptism number a little closer to the salvation number. So if you've never been baptized, uh, please come talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, After service, we can figure out maybe what that might look like for you. But I get it. People need to make the decision for themselves. But I'll tell you what else I'm excited about. Uh, As many of you know, we give away the first 10% of our income as a church. So we tithe whatever you all tithe, we, we give that away. And our primary mission field for that, uh, that tithe is the local church. We want, we want to uh, give to the local church. We feel like the local church is the hope of the world. And so whatever way we can help fund the local church, we want to do that. Uh, and because of your all's generosity, uh, it has allowed us to give away over $40,000 to churches uh, across the world. Yeah. Yeah. You want to cheer about something? Uh, we give some of that money to ARC, which you heard Sherry briefly mention. ARC has planted over 300 churches just in the United States since we launched, and so your all's money is going towards that. We have a church planter who we're sponsoring in Turkey. Uh, they have seen 85 salvations over there, which is incredible. If you're going to cheer for something, that's something you can cheer for, that God moving and working in the Middle East. Uh, this next year, we're going to plant a church in Bolivia. And so I'm excited to get down there in a couple weeks and help facilitate that. And then there's an intern who's going to be working with us in church planting. He's going to plant a church in Kansas at some point, hopefully this year. So you guys are going to get introduced to him uh, in the coming weeks as well. Matthew Shepard is his name. So that's awesome. Praise God for that. His faithfulness, your all's faithfulness, uh, and happy birthday to us. I feel like we're in a healthy spot as a church, but uh, one thing that you need to know as you look around this room, I know that healthy things grow. So as you see our church, uh, this is the smallest it's ever going to be uh, because I really believe that healthy things grow and God wants us to use our uh, uh, passions and gifts and talents and abilities, not because we need a big church, but because God's glorified when we spread the good news about the gospel. Amen, somebody. And so we're going to continue trying to do that to the best of our ability. So if you're a guest with us today, welcome. We are so glad you are here. When we started this church four years ago, people often ask me, uh, why, why another church in Park City? Does Park City really need another church? And I would, I would always say, no, I don't think Park City needs another church. I think they need a different kind of church. You know, as I look around and investigate the churches, I feel like there's plenty of churches for church people, 
but I wasn't so sure there was a church that I felt comfortable inviting my friends to. And so really that was my vision behind this place is I wanted a place where it'd be uh, safe to invite whoever needed to hear the good news of the gospel, that, that you could come here and, and you could uh, feel comfortable hearing the good news and uh, that you could belong regardless of what you believe. Really, that was my hope, that you could find a place that you could belong and get involved and hear the good news, and you didn't have to believe what we believed yet. In fairness, I do hope you learn to believe what we believe, which is that Jesus Christ came to this earth because people were far from God. People were not living in a way that was pleasing to God. They were searching for meaning and purpose and hope, and they were looking in all the wrong places. Perhaps you felt that. Perhaps you felt a little bit of hopelessness in your life. Like you felt like there was just more. You wanted this purpose. You wanted this meaning. Well, what Jesus did was he made a way for our lives to have meaning, purpose, and hope. He made a way for us to be reconciled back to God, which is where we've always belonged in a relationship with him. And in order for you to enter into this relationship, you've got to realize there's some good news and there's some bad news. The bad news is you don't measure up. You are completely unable to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now listen, the good news is, the best news is, you don't have to. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live. The perfect, sinless life. Now the other bad news is, because you've sinned, you've not measured up. That's what that word sin really means, is you fall short, you don't measure up. There's punishment for that sin. It's called death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You earn death by sinning. But the other good news is that because sinless Jesus died for you, He not only beat sin, He also beat death by raising from the dead. So you can have eternal life with Him simply by trusting in Him and committing your life to following Him from this, that, from this point on. That's it. In faith, you believe that I just said it's true. Jesus came to, to die for you. Wait, that's, that's all I have to do, Pastor? I don't have to like, like go see a priest or, or clean myself up or keep a bunch of rules or you know, take some essential oils or something? No, you don't. I mean, you can if you want to. I mean, the essential oils thing is fine, but I mean, all the other stuff... Uh, no, you don't have to do any of those things. He's offering to this, this faith uh, to you as a gift, this salvation to you as a gift, that you just trust in Him in faith. And that's actually what I want to talk to you a little bit about today, this idea of faith. And, and I want to actually bring in an idea that I started on Christmas Eve, if you were happened to be here. You might recall I briefly talked about the wise men and how they came and visited Jesus when he was born. And I said that if there's anything that we can learn from the wise men, we learn that following Jesus is about joy. The Bible says they joyfully worshipped him as soon as they saw him, but it also tells us it's about a journey. The wise men were on a journey. You are on a journey within life, and I want to help you on this journey. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking to you about your journey. I titled today's message, Fan the Flame. 
fan the flame. It's under this big umbrella idea of that I love this church, which I do, but uh, I want you to love it as well. And hopefully it'll all make sense uh, in just a second. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. You can go ahead and grab it. I want you to open up to uh, 2 Timothy. So if you're not sure where that's at, there should be a table of contents at the front of your Bible. And you can find the page number for 2 Timothy there. You need chapter 1. Now, I don't know what you know about fire. I don't know a whole lot. I know it's not good to be on fire. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, unless you're playing Super Nintendo uh, NBA Jam, like then, then, then being on fire was great. But uh, these, are, these are the jokes, people. Okay, so never, I mean, that's all I got. Uh, but Laura and I have a fireplace at our house, and so I'm learning a little bit more about fire and what it takes to build a fire, which when I say build a fire, what I would like for you to envision is me traipsing through the woods, uh, hacking down trees with a Paul Bunyan-like axe, just savagely ripping limbs and gathering kindling and uh, like some kind of Rambo Boy Scout Bear Grylls sort of a, a guy, and you can Picture me blowing on the kindling and and lighting the fire with my hands and then setting it in the fireplace. That's what I would like for you to picture when I say building a fire. Don't picture what actually happens, which is me getting one of those starter logs from the closet from Atwoods and lighting that and then getting wood off my back porch, which is covered so I don't have to get wet or cold and setting that in the fireplace, but uh, it's all been split with a log splitter. I really didn't have an axe or anything, but uh, as, as someone who has never really dealt with fire or fireplaces before, what I've found is that airflow is an important component in starting as well as maintaining a fire. How do I know that? My instruction booklet that came with the fireplace said those exact words. Uh, airflow is an important component to starting and maintaining the fire. But uh, just so uh, I think we can all be on the same page, we know it's true, though, looking at fire. We saw on the news the California wildfire, the wind, the air. It took fire to over 143,000 acres across the state. The abundance of fuel and wind made the temperature rise to degrees that fire would have never seen by itself, and it burned more rapidly and without discrimination because of the airflow. I'm sure you've seen TV shows where the blacksmiths use that big forge fan or that uh, a bellow to get as much air into the fire to make it burn as hot as possible so they can melt steel. Who's that crazy coot on channel eight what's his name roy underhill or whatever his name is that that does this nobody has seen that that's okay i don't i don't have cable so you guys uh, bear with me uh there's some brutal tv out there but he 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 sticks the fire in bellows the air never mind uh let's just read second timothy chapter one we're talking about fire getting it going let's start in verse three timothy i thank god for you The God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith as if to imply that there can be a faith that's not genuine. 
I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Praise God for single women who share their faith with their sons. We get no mention of the uh, Timothy's dad or granddad in this passage, but that's a kind of a big deal to the, to the Jewish culture. So this is a big deal that it's just the mothers who are written. So praise God for you mothers who can, can share the faith. Amen, somebody. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible. Fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you. When I laid my hands on you, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, no, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. In case you hadn't gathered it from this passage, this is a dialogue between uh, Timothy and Paul. It's actually a letter written from Paul to this man, Timothy, his friend. It's one of the most compelling letters within all of Scripture when you understand the historical timeline. In your Bible, it appears 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, so on. But in actuality, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, then he wrote Titus, then he wrote 2 Timothy. While writing 1 Timothy, Paul was under house arrest. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel and teaching about Jesus. But this house arrest was not a bad gig. He was allowed to have visitors come over and he, he was allowed to uh, minister to people and he actually converted all the guards who were watching over him. So, so he felt pretty good about this situation. Ultimately, they let him go from house arrest, but he was not rehabilitated because he decided to go out and plant some more churches and keep spreading the gospel and helping people learn about Jesus. And then he writes the letter Titus in your Bible, but he's eventually arrested again. This time he's put in prison in Rome with a guy named Nero who's in charge. If you know your history, you know that uh, Nero was not a particularly sane human being. Burned down Jerusalem, if you remember that as well. Burned down Rome, excuse me, and, and blamed the Jews for it. But if you read Second uh, Timothy, you'll find that this incarceration was not as luxurious as the first. It's actually kind of heartbreaking at the end of the book if you'll read it and you'll see Timothy asking, uh, or you'll see Paul asking Timothy to bring him a coat. It's cold. He just needs to get warmed up. You can picture Paul sitting alone in this damp, cold, dark jail cell, worn down from years of beatings and abuse. And despite that, despite his appalling conditions, he's encouraging Timothy to continue on. He says, your faith is great. I saw that in your grandmother and in your mother as well. And he says, keep at it. 
as if to imply your fire is great, but it can reach bigger proportions than what it is. Like a California wildfire, it can spread even bigger than what it currently is spreading right now. He says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Listen to me, if you're a follower of Christ, God has also given you a spiritual gift, one that you're supposed to be fanning into flames. You need to to put this air blower onto your spiritual gift. You need to get it up, going, burning as hot as possible. How do we do that? Here's my main point today. The power for your fire comes from God. The power for your fire comes from God. See, some of us are trying to do God's work without God's power. That's why your job's a mess, your marriage is falling apart, people are robbing you of your joy at school or at work, you have drama all around you, anywhere you go you can't seem to escape the drama in your life, you're not operating in God's power. It's kind of interesting, the Old Testament, 136 times, Authors record this word uh, in Hebrew called ruach. It it literally uh, describes wind and air, but in the context that they use it 136 times, it means the breath of God. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. You could picture God kneeling down next to you, gently blowing on the fire that is your spiritual gift, trying to fan it into flame. That's what ruach means, God breathing on you through the power of His Holy Spirit. We see this most clearly in Scripture in John twenty nineteen. Watch this. This is after Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead and He's appearing to His disciples. Check it out. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the Jews who had just killed Jesus, they were scared about that. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Don't you love that? Uh, the doors were locked. <laughs> Jesus just shows up like some kind of Jedi. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. What did he do? He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is Ruach in your Old Testament. This is God breathing on you, giving you this spiritual gift through the power of the Holy Spirit when you trust in Jesus. Again, if you're a Christian, God's Spirit lives in you. He's guiding you. He's directing you. He's fanning this flame for you, but you've got to give Him some fuel. You know what I'm talking about. He's got to be able to burn something. So I want to make a couple observations about fuel, particularly in regards to this idea of fire and fanning into flame. Here's what I've learned. Fire goes out if it's left alone. Fire will go out if it's left alone. You know it's true. Just the other night before I went to bed, I kind of put a couple big logs in the fireplace. And uh, when I got up the next morning, it was out. The airflow did me no good because there was no fuel. It was left alone. What's that mean for your life? The fuel for your life, the fuel for your fire, is your relationships. 
the relationships that you have in your life, if you don't have people in your life like Paul who are reminding you to tend your fire, then your fire will likely go out. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. Now, I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation over it. What I am saying is you might not have ever had a genuine faith, which Paul talked about just a second ago, but uh, it can also mean that you've simply lost your zeal for God. You've lost your first love, as Revelation talks about. Life's hard, right? Gets busy. Sometimes that fire just wants to go out and you need people to remind you that God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but rather you've got a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Come on, somebody. We just had some discipline in our life. Our lives would look a lot different, but this is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group. Not because I want something from you, but I want something for you. I want you to have the best life possible. The Bible makes it clear that you are never intended to do life alone. You're supposed to have people around you. People that can help tend your fire, remind you, you got to put some more logs on that, son. You're not doing what you need to be doing. I don't want your fire to go out. Which leads me to my second observation. Being on fire in the past is no guarantee that you're going to be on fire now. Just because you were on fire back then doesn't mean you're going to be on fire in the future. The line that that Paul uses in the original Greek, the fan into flames, uh, it's a present active infinitive. I don't know much about Greek. I enjoy their gyros and yogurt. But uh, other than that, I, I do know a present active infinitive means it's not one and done. If something's infinitive, it's going to go on and on. This is not an Andrew Wiggins or John Wall situation. Fanning the flame is not going, you know what? Did it, nailed it, I'm out. That's not how fanning the flame works. You've got to keep fanning. Well, how do you do that? Well, how are you on fire in the past? I would contend you were probably reading your Bible regularly. You were probably gathering with God's people in a large context like this, as well as in a smaller context where people could be ministering and discipling you. And you scheduled what you had around those two uh, places. And you were praying and, and you were understanding that God was after your joy. And so those things brought joy to your life. And, and you realize that you should be happy when you're serving the Lord, and then that's the place you found yourself in life. But some of you came in here with coals, embers, your fire's fixing to go out. Just because you were on fire back then doesn't mean you're always going to be on fire. You've got to keep cultivating the flame. You've got to keep adding fire or logs to the fire. Why is that a big deal? Because here's what else I know. People are drawn to a, ro- a roaring fire. People are drawn to huge, big, roaring fires. Aren't they? Haven't you ever been out at a bonfire at the lake or something? I was working at Tabor College. A lot of times we did, we'd go out to Marion Lake. We'd start a fire and people just randomly show up, right? Like, who are you? Who are you? I don't know. I saw the fire. It's awesome. Yes, fire is amazing. Come, you know, go get a hot dog, whatever. But that's... that's what you do, you, you gather around these big fires. In our context, the implication is there's something attractive about passion. 
There's something attractive about people who are fired up about what they're doing. That's why people want to play for certain coaches because there's passion around the coach. It's why people elect certain officials, good or bad, because there's passion around the officials. People want something to believe in. They want something to hope for, put their hope in. One translation of the Bible about this passage says, this is why I remind you to help God's gift grow just as a small spark grows into a huge fire. This is what God's plan is for your life, that that you get on fire and you feed the fire and, and you're passionate about whatever it is you're doing in life. You might be the spark that leads to somebody else's fire. Because fire is contagious. It spreads. You know what's not? Smoke. Smoke is appalling. It stinks. It makes it hard to see. It makes it hard to breathe. And if your fire's about to go out, you're putting off a lot of smoke. Are you tracking with me? You can't be putting off smoke. You've got to believe what you say. You've got to be passionate about God, which is why I want to give you an acronym. So listen, here's what we know. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. He's given us one of power that you should be accessing and love, self-discipline. We also know that God has given us a spiritual gift to use for His glory. And we know from the Bible that He's most glorified by us when we're most satisfied in Him and, and having joy around serving Him and spreading the gospel. So since we're talking about fanning into flame, here's your acronym, fan into flame. F, how do we fan? Who do we fan? Friends and family. You got to witness to your friends and family. Now, undoubtedly, this is the hardest group of people to speak to and reach because they know you. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like they've seen you at your best and worst. It's just weird to have those conversations, but that doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to do it. Verse 8 says, never be ashamed to tell anybody about Jesus. I think your friends and family would fall in the category of anybody. And so you need to talk to them. Associates, A, who are associates? Coaches, teammates, coworkers, bosses, employers, classmates. Any, any person that you associate with, hence the name, uh, not rocket science. Uh, but I'm not saying that to... Uh, witness to those people. You've got to play Christian music all the time, and you've got to have Bible verses on your locker and in your desk. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I would contend that that's not the most effective way you can speak to those people. You, uh, you know what the most effective way to reach your coworkers and teammates and, and, and anybody that you associate with is? Here it is. Do a good job. Work hard at school. When you're at work, work. Like, don't be checking email and get on the face box and snap the chat and all those, everything, whatever it is that you decide to do. You've got to work. And people are going to come up to you and be like, why, how come, uh, how come good stuff follows you around? How come you work hard all the time? How come you're working and studying and getting good grades? How come you're the most uh, uh, hardcore one in practice? How come you're early in and, and late to leave? And how come you're doing all these things? And you be, Because uh, the Bible tells me, uh, what is it, Colossians 3.23, that whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to work hard, not for man, 
but for the God that I serve, because He saved my soul. That's how you get a witness to associates. You don't have to throw it down their face all the time. You just develop a relationship. Start talking to them. It's not anything that super difficult. N, neighbors. Who's my neighbor? Well, according to the Bible, Jesus told a story about this name uh, called the Good Samaritan. And uh, a lawyer asked him the same question. Well, who's my neighbor? And the point of the story was, anybody God puts in your way, that's your neighbor. You need to be witnessing to people. Your waitress, you know, uh, the people at the tag office, Lord help us all at the tag office, right? I mean, whoever God puts in your way, that's your neighbor. You know, people that you talk with on the phone, uh, anybody that God puts in your way. But here's why I wanted to share that with you. Because there's a myth out there crippling churches, and it's what's known as the holy man myth. It's the idea that pastors or clergy somehow have a more direct line to God, and since y'all are paying them to be holy, they get to be holy for you, and they should just witness to everybody you know in your life. Furthermore, it mistakenly equates leadership gifts with superior spirituality. Listen to me. Every follower of Christ has the same privilege of direct access to God. I don't got a red phone in my office. I wish I did. We'd be having a lot more conversations about some things that are happening if I had the direct access differently than what you all had. Check out what Paul says again. Fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Not God gave your pastor. Just because God gave me a gift of preaching doesn't mean I'm more important than you are. I would argue that your gifts are more important than mine because you're the ones going to work every day and school every day trying to impact a dark world all around you every single day. Everybody I work with is Christian. It just tends to work better when the church leadership is Christian, you know what I'm saying? So I have a hard time evangelizing to the people that I'm going to work with. But Ephesians 4 does pretty much lay out what we're supposed to be doing as church leadership and what my responsibilities are as the pastor, which is to equip the saints, you, for ministry. So Paul and I are very similar. We're reminders we're to help you on your journey. Now, certainly we lead by example. And, and the Bible does say that I'm going to be held to a little bit different standard because my job's much more public. And I'm going to be speaking. I'm going to have to answer for every word that I have said. But nonetheless, you're just as important as I am. You're bringing people into your circle of life and, and doing life with these people. And, and, and you're supposed to be trying to help encourage them on their journey as well. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want to share one more story with you that will hopefully put a nice pretty bow on everything that we've just talked about. There's a story recorded for us in Scripture that's one of, uh, it's about one of Jesus's friends. It's a guy named Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus gets sick. It's a fairly serious condition. So some of Lazarus' other friends show up to Jesus where Jesus is out preaching and teaching. They're like, hey, bro, you need to uh, c- come back. And, and Lazarus is really sick. We think he might die. You, you, you need to come see him maybe for the one last time. But Jesus takes his time and he doesn't show up before Lazarus dies. 
and uh, they bury Lazarus. He's in a tomb. If you know the story, you know that Jesus eventually does raise Lazarus from the dead physically, which uh, parallels what He does for our life spiritually. We're dead spiritually, and then God forgives us through Jesus Christ, and He brings us from death to life. That's one of the points of the story. But there's something else that I want you to notice. It's a very important piece in the story, and it has to do with the timing of the story. So check this out. This is John 11. Jesus came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone in front of the entrance. Does that sound familiar? Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad smell. Uh, The King James says, he stinketh. Love that. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. It's it's gross in there, Jesus. That's what she's saying. Brothers decomposing, you, you don't want to go in there. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen. A cloth was around his face. Here's what I want you to see. He tells Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, you roll away the stone, then his voice raises Lazarus from the dead. In other words, their responsibility was to remove the barrier so God's voice could get in. The same is true for your life today. Our responsibility is removing barriers so God's voice can raise the dead. See, God has given you a spiritual gift that you're supposed to be fanning into flame by His power, the one that can help you witness to your friends and family and your associates and your neighbors. It was given to you to remove barriers. It was given to you so that God's voice could penetrate the hearts of those who are spiritually dead. And probably the most important thing you can hear me say is this. It should bring you great joy to remove barriers in other people's lives. Like if, if you're not having fun serving the Lord, might I submit to you that your flame has gone out. But verse 11 tells us that God can illuminate the path. He'll light your torch again. You've just got to give Him the fuel, which is you. Humbly submitting yourself to the Lord God Almighty. Saying, thank you for the gifts you've given me. I can never repay you, but you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to live for you and spread the news of what you've done in my life and how you've changed me. And the only plausible explanation for that is your son, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I once was dead, but now I'm alive because of what God did for me, breathed into you. Fan the flame. Let's pray. God, we believe this is true. That you sent your son Jesus to die for us because there was no other way that we could be made right in your eyes. We've tried this by ourselves for too long, God. We want to humbly submit to you. 
say, light us on fire. Fan into flame a yearning and burning to get to know you more, God. To hear from you, to study your word, to speak to you. God, I believe what you said when you promised us power. And I'm praying for each person in this room right now to feel the power of your Holy Spirit. I believe what you said when you promised us love. And I'm praying right now for everyone to feel the power of your love. And I believe what you said when you promised us self-discipline. I'm just asking you right now if there's anybody here that's struggling with something, their marriage, parenting, finances, addiction. In the name of Jesus, I'm praying power over those things. And you'll give them self-discipline to change for you. God, you told us to spread the news wherever we go that you love us and died for us with our friends and family, our, shows, our associates, our neighbors. God, whoever that is for each person, I just ask that you give them clear vision. As you put people in our path this week, open their eyes to see them as a soul that you love and care about. Help them find a way to use their spiritual gift for your glory. If you're here this morning and you've never been put on fire by God by saying you're sorry by asking God to forgive you for your sins I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now to, to maybe be set on fire for the very first time God can change your life He just says confess and believe and you'll be saved so just in your heart right now just pray God, please forgive me for sinning against you. Please help me to live for you. Set me on fire. Give me clear direction. Give me power to live for you. Thank you for saving me. God, I believe in your spirit and I just ask that you help encourage whoever prayed that prayer today. Help them follow you with all their power. Help each person today to be more on fire today and the next day and moving forward in this journey of life. We thank you and we praise you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.